0: Ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna take you all the way down to New Orleans this time. Competition is on.
1: Competition is on. competition is on. competition is on. competition is to another edition more. of to Paint with David Grubb. And I am proud and happy to welcome back my friend, my colleague, um, the one and only, Kelsey Nicole Nelson, um, award-winning broadcaster, um, and just one of those people, who, you know, in this business as talented across mediums, you know, Kelsey does it on all mediums, whether it's radio, whether it's podcasting, whether it's whatever it is, she does it. And 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 we have like, I guess what, this is what, three years now we've known each other.
0: It doesn't feel like that long, David, but I think it is, which is crazy. I know. I feel like the COVID years kind of like got intertwined, but yeah, we've known each other. You're family now, David. Yeah, we started We're not getting like, rid of each other. In like
1: 2019, <laughs> when I was first doing the hard to paint radio shows, when we first started talking to each other and it has been a really enjoyable relationship both
0: I agree through
1: sports and just getting to know each other as people. you know you you become one of those like you said family we are, there's this tighter circle and you are definitely for those yeah. people in this industry with me you're definitely part of that inner circle for me.
0: I appreciate that, David. Like I said, I mean, me and you have been grinders. I know we connected over our Louisiana ties, our southern roots, and it's just kept growing. And I think also just that genuineness and that realness. Like, that's what you look for. That's what I look for for people in media. And you know, unfortunately, we do live in a superficial world. So when you find people who are real with you, who will keep it 100, and I really just kind of get attracted to good vibes and people who work hard in this industry, then, you know, it's going to be a long, fruitful relationship. And I feel like that's what we've had. And we've had fun and shout out to AJ. Who brought yes. us together, and we've been, we've been, we've been vibing ever
1: since. Yeah, it's fun, and then at the same time, I think you know we both have different approaches. We both have um, ways that we go about this, and I think that that has helped me because I have definitely learned things in watching um, your your style and watching how you do things. Because I am sometimes more of a blunt instrument, and you are more tactful. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) than I
0: am uh, but you know what David it's like everybody has their own kind of uniqueness right you're David Grubb I'm Kelsey Nicole Nelson and we are who we are for a reason and I don't think there's anything wrong with being blunt you know for me and it's also from our different experiences for like me I've just kind of learned how to talk to let's say different audiences because you know where I grew up is you know growing up the DMV and spending my summers on South but then doing pageants and oratory contests like I've just kind of been like the whole spectrum and I don't think there's anything wrong like I try to have a positive, upbeat vibe about things. But then also, David, sometimes I have to switch it and be blunt about things that are blatantly wrong, that are blatantly racist, and so on and so on. And so, you know, it's being able, I think, to pivot in the media industry. That's what I tell people all the time. But, you know, being true and unique and authentically you is something that will never go wrong. Because at the end of the day, people are going to love you or hate you for being you. And you're just going to keep going the track and course that God wants you to.
1: Absolutely. And and I would never ask you to change who you are. And I, and. And that's the thing is like, I think that there's, it's so good. Um, and one of the things that we have always talked about is like we have during this pandemic era um, and we have made these stronger and deeper connections with a lot of people in this industry as we've gone forward. Um, I think it has been so comforting to hear all the different types of voices that that we have in the industry, because if you want d- these different perspectives, they are all there for you. You just have to look for them. Right. And, and so to, for me, it's a, it's been a, just a tremendous eye-opener from even my first NABJ experience. And we were talking about that before we started and it coming up this, this uh, summer to finally Ooh, be, able in, to be back in person. <laughs> um, you know, those things, just to see all the people throughout our industry, whether it's news, right. sports, whatever you're doing. And right. we all bring something different to the table, but there's just this general la- layer of, I just want you to make it too.
0: Yeah. Like no matter yes. what I'm
1: doing, I want you to be all right too.
0: That's what it is. You know, in DC, we like to say everybody eats, David. And that's what we want. And I think there is room. There's room for more than everybody to be at the table. You know why? Because it's not only one table, David. We're in a whole lunchroom where we can fit many, many tables with many, many people around these various tables. And so I'm like, that. It's like, I want you to be good in all your endeavors. And I think the great thing about it is, David, we're evolving, we're growing. And like you said, it's it's so great. Like for me, it's been great to go back to conferences this year and like see people. Like the fact that me, you have like never met in person, it's so like (laughs) bewildering. to me even though like we're here you know talking but that's what social media does it brings you close to people that like you don't even know. And that's why sometimes it's like just because you know somebody a long time doesn't mean you can't instantly go out on social media and connect with the person and it feels like you've known them your whole life and that they are like family to you because you guys just have a vibe and a bond. And when you have that truth support of someone, there's nothing like it, right? Someone that's about, val- you know, validly pushing for you, you know, sharing your content, putting your names in rooms that you don't even know you're being talked in. Like, and those are the people you want in your circle, David, right? As you grow, because you want to lift as you climb. That's what we're doing, lifting as we climb. And I think that's what it's been for me and Kind of in this bond and relationship, and that's just what good southern folks do, folks. All right, we lift as we climb, and we're just good to each other, good people, but we stay positive even through all the adversity. I think, David, you know, that we go through and that we face.
1: One of the things that's been a topic, and know and we'll get into this deeper sports topics in just a moment. But one of the things that, of that talking with you, um, gives me an opportunity to discuss is that there has been this large conversation recently about the place for black and, uh, black male and black female journalists in the television landscape. And yeah. that we're seeing far more black female journalists get lead positions as hosts. Um, and black male journalists are kind of being pushed to the side where it's the former athletes, former coaches who are taking those roles um, as analysts and as commentators. That part for me is is a very interesting thing to watch because I am trying to stay in those spaces. I don't have a problem with the ascension of Black women. I encourage it. I've always been, you know, somebody who's asked women to come on my show to bring their perspectives. I don't ask women to talk about women's issues. I ask them to talk about sports. I've never treated, you know, never have I treated you as a female journalist in respect right. to what we're talking about. You have a perspective that is female at times, mm-hmm. that I need, um, because I can't provide that. But, at the, but as we look for this, it's almost pitted as a competition. I don't yes. feel I'm in competition with you,
0: right. but I
1: do feel like the industry wants me to be in competition with you. Do you get that vibe? <laughs> you no, know, this
0: is interesting, David. And you know, of course, I think, you know, we are starting to see sports give more opportunities to people, not just of color, but women, as you're saying. But I think, you know, when you do the former athlete angle, me personally, I would say that's not just a testament to men getting jobs. I'd also say the same for females. A lot of these females you see getting jobs either had a professional or collegiate playing career. David, I had neither. You know, I had a couple of baskets in high school, and a couple of bumps there playing volleyball. But all that to say, you know, I think it is something that it needs to be a larger conversation about. But, you know, at the same time, and this is something that I've had to learn, you know, these different companies, David, they want what they want they have their perception of who of who they want who's going to help them reach the audience base that they want to and so I know if we look at sports overall as a whole a lot more females are getting involved in sports the NFL as a league is looking at itself seeing we have 51 percent female fans this is why you see fanatics and others uh market and merchandising and, and marketing doing more to reach out to female fans and the female fan base that's rapidly growing but, you know I think the thing about media is that There's so many new positions because of digital media, because of esports, David, because of sports betting that are out there. And so, you know, I think if you look at the industry, so like for me being a black female in the sports betting space, David, there's not many. There's like, there's very few far um, and in between. And, you know, I think this is a, This is not an either or um, conversation, you know, it's an and but conversation, meaning that we need to kind of grow all of this to make sure there's enough voices. Because, yes, the athlete has a unique perspective. And of course, they played the sport, but also someone who's been watching the sport intently. It's kind of like why you see your great coaches. Usually they were never those star players. Right, David, because the person that was really sitting down watching things happen, they kind of see what works and what doesn't work. Right. And they might not have as much of an ego. Maybe as someone who's a star player, but I think the biggest thing in the media industry is making sure that there's room and space kind of for all of us to grow, Dave. And so to your point, I think it's, we do see a lot. I mean, nowadays, like, it's like now we're just seeing, like, which former athlete, we're talking about this with Tom Brady right now, right? Like, which network is going to offer Tom Brady the biggest contract to go in the commentating booth? You guys know this with your guy, Drew Brees, when he left the game, you know, Sean Payton. And so on and so on. It's like, you know, it's like they want those people. And we're hearing the money that they're willing to throw at these people, but yet sometimes we're hearing that there's not enough money for you to be in that room. Mm-hmm. Are you know? <laughs> it's kind of like, we'll, we'll, we'll wait. I'm scratching my head because you're sending mixed messages. And I think this is why the media industry, you know, it's it's fluid and, and it's hard. It's like it's hard to get in, but also once you're in, there's no guarantee. Cause at the same time, no, they're always thinking about, you know, who's gonna help me reach this goal or that goal. And so I think, you know, to your point, I'd say. You know, I don't think I would say we're definitely not in competition because I think we bring something different and unique to the table. But I would say, you know, if a media industry and it's sad, but from their viewpoint, it might be they just want a diverse hire. And this kind of goes into a larger conversation. But then does that mean there's only going to be one for them to just check off that diversity box? Are you looking for true diversity and creating a pipeline of diversity, which is my biggest question, to make sure that you have longevity with your diverse hires, making sure you have more diverse voices in the room?
1: I had a really interesting conversation about that with um, the president of the Southern University Bar Student Bar Association. Oh,
0: nice. Okay. And
1: we were talking about you know the nomination of Judge Jackson Brown Judge Brown Jackson um, yeah. for the Supreme Court. Right. And um, one of the things that that she was stressing was like, yeah, you know, you know, people will talk about the first black woman being on the Supreme Court. She said right. diversity. We talk about diversity, but we cannot ever forget inclusion. Like y'all yes. don't make the hire just for diversity's sake to say you got the number, exactly. Exactly. The, the inclusion in the process. Are we part of the decision-making going forward? Are we part of the crafting of what exactly. this company or this organization is going to present? Um, right. Or, you know, and I think that that's the part where it's not just about being in front of the camera. It's about those of producer course. positions. It's about yep. writer positions. It's about technical positions. It's all those things right. where we want to be in all those places um, just like everybody else, and we're not—you know—I've never felt like um, the, the the fight is about um, equal outcomes, you know. And I mm, think that's where right. we've been positioned all the time is like, well, you want the same outcome, you want guaranteed success. Right. You didn't get into this business thinking about guaranteed success,
0: right? Exactly. And you know, this is I think what we're fighting for, though. Many of us are fighting for just the opportunity, the chance. To be actually considered as a person who was qualified for a position, David. And I think that's what it goes back to. And I'm so glad you talked about the inclusion part. Something I always preach. My mentor James Brown says it best. Diversity wins, inclusion matters. I preach that all the time because they are, there is intersectionality in both of them. And notice, David, that's why I said we have to create a pipeline for diversity. It's not enough to be the first because you never want to be the last, right? And that's the biggest thing about it. We could so sometimes gung ho on the person being the first one. Well, And I know we're going to talk about this in the show but there's a lot of diversity issues in sports because we had those first ones maybe those second ones but then what about the others coming behind them right what about the doors open for people that look like them to come into the room and so i think this is why it's a larger conversation and also i think diversity we have to expand i mean yes Diversity. I think people automatically think, you know, uh, that means African Americans, and no, diversity means so much more. Diversity is all ethnicities, all races. It means women. It means people from the LGBTQIA community, and so much more that want to be included in these diversity hires. But that's why I said companies really need to sit down and see. First, they have to acknowledge there's a problem, D. That's step one. You have to acknowledge that there's a problem. And then step two, you have to come up with a solution for it. But the biggest thing is, again, just not saying we have one. Oh, check the mark. Okay, we're good, you know, for the rest of history. That's not just how it works. And so this is why I think we have to keep the pressure on companies. This is why I think social media can be good. You know, I remember, um, I won't call out a particular team, but a particular team posted a photo of their social media team, and there was not one person of color. This photo, essentially, every person started to quote, it and said, where is your diversity? Are you proud of posting this photo, David? And that's what we kind of have to do. It's like making sure they realize that, hey, look, you know, if you have all of everybody of one type in the room, how are you ever going to get diverse thought? How are you going to ever represent the people that are playing for your league? And like you said, we have to know diversity. It's not just in front of the camera, it's just not what you see. Go on that company's website. Who are their executives? Who are the people making leadership decisions? Like you said, who are the writers, the producers, the people who have the actual show power to talk about what goes on a rundown in a script for the host to be able to talk about and kind of dive into. And that's the point where we are right now in media, I think, you know, we're we're seeing some positive change. But at the same time, you know, especially in your local communities, I'd say, look at your radio stations, look at your TV stations, look at the sports media. And is it diverse enough to where the community is? And if not, what are we going to do about it, Dave? And that's why I'm glad me and you have these real conversations, because not everybody's going to keep it real with you and talk real about it on these issues, because right now they're okay, you know, like they're working. So you know, why do they need to worry about the others who are coming behind them?
1: Because, I, I, you know, part of it, too, is, you know, you get this explanation of we're, we're working for our audience. This is what our audience is asking for. But we also live in a business where you're constantly hearing we have to grow our audience. Well, exactly. there's a lot of women, like you said, there's a <laughs> lot of women, There are a lot of people, of color, There are a lot of exactly. uh, all across spectrum who love sports exactly. and would love to see themselves represented in those conversations. And right. it's but we know the audience primarily right now for sports content is driven by white men between the ages of 25 and 50. We know that exactly. the coasts are white men between the ages of 25 and 50. Well, if that's all you've presented, yeah, you're going to say that's the audience because you never expected there to be anybody else, but we've seen it in every other segment of entertainment. And that's what sports radio is or sports TV. It's entertainment.
0: It is exactly you, sports is an, a type of entertainment, right? That's why it's sports and entertainment. It
1: just is. So when we've seen it, you can make a so-called Black TV show and white folks will tune in. You can make a so-called Black movie and white folks (laughs) will pay tickets, you know, for those tickets to see it. We've seen it in music where the white folks will show up to watch Black music groups. So why will they not listen to Black people talk about sports? I just don't...
0: it's the craziest thing, like, right? It's true, Dave. It's mind boggling, like you said, especially for thinking about our audience. Okay, well, America's becoming increasingly more diverse, right? Okay, so that's not a problem because then you should get people. That already look like the audience that you're trying to serve, and the new people that you're going to have to reach, right? Because it is getting diverse, David. And then to your point too. I've also heard okay, you know, well, the advertisers are making this, the decisions, and this is who the advertisers want. Okay, we all watch commercials, and if you're noticing, there's more. And I'm just going to say, there's been more mixed race families in media for that reason because they're being reflective of what's happening in society. David, am I wrong about that? No, I live in Washington D.C. I see it all the time, and so I think you know, for people to kind of make these quote excuses. And and that's what they are, they're excuses, because people are just really getting comfortable hiring who they want to hire. And that's usually people you know that look like them because you've never been outside that box so you're scared to take that chance. But when they take, and this is why though, David, I think black creators, and I think this is so prevalent, Twitter right now, Twitter right now is so popular and a large part of its content, a large part of its success has come from black Twitter. That's a fact, people can look it up. So we've been able to create kind of our own content streams. We've been our own medium. You talk about the success of black entertainment, new edition was just here performing a Diverse audience, everybody came to go see him. I mean, black entertainment television, BET, was successful for a very long time. It was not just because black folks were watching, it was because everybody, you know, was watching. And you can go on and on about so many things about this. You know, music artists, a lot of the times rap music, the people that are buying it aren't always, don't always look like the rappers, They, But many times, are your kids in the suburbs, you know, that are listening to this music and want that kind of lifestyle um, that mom and dad sometimes don't want them to see. But oh well, they're going to go listen to that music. And so, I say all that to say. It's enough of the excuses of saying, this is not what the audience wants. This is not what advertisers want. When time and time again, it's been proven, it's been proven that when you have more diversity it always, it usually always, David, and my friend I'm to say usually always, it always usually yields to positive success rates, all right, and not just because, again, people want to see oh, that's somebody different, and then their representation for that culture, and then that culture is going to see how they've been uplifted, and everyone's going to kind of flock to them, and there's a reason why, you know, we love our Pam Olivers of the world and so much more because of what they represent, and I know hopefully she could be proud of the pipeline that's being created behind her, but again, we have to acknowledge that there is still larger problems, as to your point, David, especially sports radio, and I think Sports radio sp- specifically, you know, me being a black woman in sports radio, I'm still, it's still a, it's still a minimal amount of us, David. That's a problem. I mean, just a Super Bowl on Radio Row, still a very small amount of us actually talking on sports talk radio, still getting invited to radio shows to give our perspective and our, you know, unique voices and unique takes. And so I think sports media as a whole just has to kind of look at itself and realize, all right, how do we move forward with the times? How do we keep pushing the narrative? Because it's not happening, David. It's just not.
1: No, and I absolutely, you know, try to keep and I don't do this just for myself because, you know, radio has been my home, but I don't do it just for myself to say, you know, you have to keep eyes on the guest list. You look at people and if, if, you're, if you see stations and it's white guy, white guy, white guy, white guy, white guy, Monday through Friday, the host, the guest, everybody, white guy, white guy, white guy, white guy. And the only time you see women or black people is if they are former athletes or they're talking about women's sports
0: right, they'll tie you know, it to like a specific issue or something for them to talk about. And it's like, No, you know, get me because of my unique perspective. And because of my background and experience meet the criteria of what you're looking for, and probably can add something new. And that's usually what happens Dave, because when people give you a chance when I join a radio show for the first time on air, usually it always follows up with the producer saying, Oh, my gosh, Kelsey, thank you so much for coming on. That yeah, was great. The listeners, you know, really reacted to you well, and they liked having that unique perspective. Well, I wonder why? because they're not used to hearing from me, David, you know, it's something they haven't heard before, but it's something that they could relate to. And hopefully they had that aha moment where like, wow, what she's saying is really relevant. And, you know, it made me change my perspective on something or it made me learn something, but that's what happens. And sometimes you might say, all right, this audience, I don't know if it's going to work, but you take that chance. And many times, you know, things, I mean, the first time anything was tested, David, when Michael Jordan was making Jordans, he didn't know for sure if everybody was going to like them. And look, when basketball players drop shoes, what do we do, David? We love them. We hate them. Whatever. They took a chance. They took that risk. Sometimes that risk is rewarded, right? They make lots of money from it. And other times they just go back to the table and see how to refine what they want to do. But they're Steph not going to stop making shoes. That- oh, yeah. that's Curry <laughs> actually a perfect example. He took that L. <laughs> But look, was he just going to stop and say, you know what? Well, I'm not going to, you know, make shoes anywhere. No, Steph Curry's on his way, folks, to becoming a billionaire, a billionaire for a reason. And that's because he took risks. He continues to take risks. He has the right people in his circle. And he's continuing to obviously be a voice, not just for athletes, not just for basketball players, but for black men as well as a whole. And he's building on the brand that him and his wife, Ayesha Curry, and their family has built.
1: Well, let's transition that to. Um, the NFL, which has had these three major issues kind of going on concurrently and they have to deal with these kind of similar things, themes, um, the most recent, and we could, we could start with the Brian Flores and work backwards because all these things kind of built up Flores being the most recent, um, no other coaches yet have joined in on his class action suit. I think part of that has to deal with some fear because we know how it is as, as Black people in an industry, you know that once you step out on that ledge, there may, there's no coming back. And right. you're thinking about the very practical parts of life. I got bills to pay. I cannot dry up my opportunities. I get that. Um, from your perspective, I thought that Brian Flores made a mistake in his timing, that, the, that maybe he should have waited till the end of this hiring cycle, go through all of it, let the NFL show you that there wasn't any change being made. Go through your interviews. Keep all your evidence. And then when it's done, go to those coaches who also missed out. Go to the the uh, Eric bien Go to those people and say, here's what I'm really ready to do. This is what I have. Do you have, what's your story? Tell me your story. This is, These are the people I've been talking with. And I think Flores also made a mistake in the group of people he had representing him, that they came out first day of Black History Month, put him on TV, got him on camera, and we haven't seen nor heard of him, essentially, except for the hiring by the Steelers since then. I right. think that was a mistake as well. I That's not to say that his case clearly doesn't have merit on the eye test, but I think he failed the public relations part of this, and that's why the momentum has fallen off over the last month or so.
0: You know, I'm so glad we're talking about this, David. I think you make such important points. And this is why if you're working with a lawyer, timing is everything. If you're working with a PR company, timing is everything. And to your point, I think a lot of times in the NFL, we see things start and then they start to lose steam. Because I think when, I, when I'm talking about Brian Flores and it's something that's not uh, detached from the situation, it's the whole Colin Kaepernick situation, David. When Colin Kaepernick first started milling, first started putting his stance out there, it started with more players milling and locking arms. And then, David, each NFL week, It got less off and less off and drop off and drop off until it just – it was Colin right literally Colin Kaepernick um standing by kneeling by himself and I say that to say and even let's remember the NFL fans that said okay this happened with Colin Kaepernick we're going to boycott the NFL we're not going to watch the NFL David that boycott didn't last too long it just didn't and it's just facts because why people love football they saw everybody else talk about the football game they just didn't want to sit home twiddling their thumbs on Sundays David they love the game of football and the product of football so they flocked back to it and I think with Brian Flores I think you know I think it was honestly a quick reaction on his part and I'm not saying it was wrong. That just means a lot of times you get fed up with something. Sometimes you have that boiling point, and that's when he's probably like, "Look, I need to do something." And that's obviously when I think the lawsuit blew up, and that's when we started to hear about it. Because we've known for a long time that this has been a problem. To your point, I mean, this is not new. Eric Bienenme is has been Exhibit A, B, C, D, and E, and as ever, however long you want to go on with. Because here's a man that's been qualified. They keep saying, "Okay, you have to be qualified for the position." Eric Bienenme checks every single box that you want, even though all of a sudden now we're hearing, "Oh, he doesn't interview well." Or, you know other things that are trying to come out the works which you know are unfortunately c- common to hear um when people just try to back their side but i think brian flores i think even though david i think we can question the timing i'm still glad it happened because what it's done is it's opened a lid on the nfl and it's like a pressure cooker and it was already kind of boiling but now the water's getting hotter now that lid, it's clapping david it's like when you have to go in the stove and you're like all right i got to turn it off right now because it's making too much noise and it's about to overflow and I think what he's done even though some would say it's lost momentum I think it's made the NFL still have to look at itself and I no one can tell me now I'm not saying things are going to drastically change but there's a reason why Brian Flores got hired with the Pittsburgh Steelers all right there's a reason why the Rooney family happens to be over at the Pittsburgh Steelers there's a reason why Mike Tomlin also happened to be on that team I think the NFL kind of had to find a quick way to kind of quote unquote solve this problem so oh there is a team that's been praised for their diversity efforts, and they have a family that's kind of have a proven track record. Mike Tomlin has been the steady black coach in the National Football League that's had success. Why don't and and more than likely these two, Brian Flores and Mike Tomlin, obviously have some type of relationship. So let's try to put him with that team and see where that works out, and then people can't say anything. But David, I'm looking at that's still not a head coaching position. This is not what the man wanted to do. It's like when you go out for a job, you know, you know the job that you want okay you we can't give you this job you know and then you make a you send an email you know you, you talk to the diversity you talk to hr and put your complaint in, and then they come back to you and say, okay we can't give you this one but wait 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 all of a sudden here here's one that you can have just to kind of keep you quiet and so i think that's the point where we're at so i think i agree with you the timing could have been better and then all this happening during black history month it's just like my oh my oh my um but at the same time The NFL, they've kept, they keep getting pressure because of some of their stances and race is not going to be distracted uh, from the national football league. If you're watching the NFL combine right now, black people are a large part of the NFL. And there's a problem when all of this product is on the football field, it's in your stands. But for some reason it's not going through the leadership ranks and there's always a problem when it comes to their hiring cycles david and, and honestly i mean if you think about the timing i mean you can think about when the nfl seemed like it was progressive when we had more black coaches coaching uh head coaching roles and so now look at it i mean literally it's an, it's embarrassing that the nfl is still here david and we're still talking about a problem in black head coaches of the national football league when David, it's been far too long, far too in, in between um, for there to be this type of problem still existing. So I'm glad it happened when it happened. I think because of the timing right now with the growth of the Black Lives Matter movement, with the growth of people speaking out on things and with kind of the reflection, I think that the league has had to take, Roger Goodell specifically, I think the league really sees right now that America is still at this tipping point you know, we saw, we see, unfortunately, just the the, we see the positives of black people, you know, we talked about the judge, and believe me, in DC, we're so excited. Um, You know, we have Madam Vice President Kamala Harris in office, so the strides that we're making, you know, but also the Breonna Taylors of the world and seeing what happened in that court case and the acquitting and stuff like that. So I think The timing of it, David, just kind of shows what truly is Black America and what Black America, honestly, is going through. Because what happened to Brian Flores, it's not just in sports. It happens with many Brian Floreses and many other, uh, you know, many other types of industries such as finance and business and so on and so on. And so I think now I want to see, you know, where is the noise going to come from? Let's see. You know, I want to. I want my eyes will be closely on the Pittsburgh Steelers, David, this this season. You know, seeing how this kind of works out. And if the Steelers have success, which they should, because it's the Pittsburgh Steelers and Mike Tomlin's leadership. He's you know, never what had a losing season. Next, right. Never had a losing season. So what happens if Mike Tomlin continues this? Ryan Flores continues to have some type of success, even though they kind of invented this role, his senior his senior role. Then what happens next for him? You know, are we going to be at the same point? with him saying, once again, this is what I was trying to say to you all. But I think what the NFL did was they put a Band-Aid, they put a Band-Aid on a, on a bleeding wound. But, you know, David, you got to change that Band-Aid when it gets full of blood. And right now when it opens back up, I want to see what happens.
1: Yeah, because, you know, you, you. I think what they tried to do in Miami was a lot like what happened. Um, I would say linearly, like, you know, when, when uh, the Supreme Court was replacing Uh, it's first Black free court justice and you end up with Clarence Thomas. And I'm not trying to make the political equivalent of that. Right. But in Miami, what you did is you you had Thurgood Marshall and Brian Flores. (laughs) Yeah. And you remove Thurgood and you bring in somebody who's a little more palatable to your thinking. You know, because we didn't even know Homeboy was Black until they started (laughs) putting it in the release that his father's grandmother... (laughs) Like, they right. they, they're
0: for like, look, look at the family tree, folks. All right. He had never we been that He had never right. been
1: that guy. He had never been right. out front talking about his, his racial background. None of that. But it became right. something when he gets hired in Miami. And we also know that Miami's intentions were to get Tom Brady and Sean Payton and all these things. They had no intention of hiring another black coach. They didn't want to do that. So we know that that was a change. The same thing as you saw with the backlash with the Texans and bringing in Lovey Smith all of a sudden when it was about to be Josh McCown, and we all know they were about to hire Josh McCown, who had not had any head coaching experience, had been (laughs) coaching at high school football, but was about to be named head coach of the Texans. And so, you know, it, it was just all these things. They did these quick moves. I don't think Lovey Smith's gonna be in Houston for uh, for five years, do you?
0: It was a band-aid, David, that's what I'm saying. So that's what I said, I wouldn't say the timing's bad, but all of a sudden now we had these hires, quote unquote, you know, to try to say, all right, here you go. it's kind of like you know when it's like when a child is crying Dave and all of a sudden you know the parents are like all right let me just give them some candy so they can stop crying for a while but eventually that candy is going to be gone and the problem is going to be there and that's why I gave that band-aid example and to your point you know we look at the head coach in Miami now like you said and you you know we had to go through the whole family tree we're asking grandma hey do you have any more history books like we're trying to still find (laughs) they went 23 and me on him I mean, it's crazy. And it, you know, speaking to someone in Louisiana, you know, it makes me think of like the one drop rule. That's really what it like came down to essentially. Like, all right, he has a drop. It's enough to say he's black. And if we go by that standard, I'm sure if many of us went through our family tree, many of us could probably think we're a lot of different things. Might find out John
1: Gruden got some Negro in it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, you're trying to start something in DC. <laughs> And like if that were some, and that's the other, you know, something else that's still going to be interesting to kind of watch (laughs) unfold. But, you know, I think the National Football League, it, it goes back to again there is a problem. We have the National Football League obviously has a great brand. Each year, David, they continue to break their old revenue and they could increase more and more. The Super Bowl continues to break its own record because we love football. I know you love baseball, David, but I say football is America's pastime. Like people love American style football. Football is expanding globally. The National Football League obviously finding success now with more London games and Mexico games. And either other countries are trying to find a way to bring American style football to their countries because it's so popular and everybody wants to be like these guys. But at the end of the day, what Brian Flores did, I thought, was courageous. For one, like you said, because many of us will worry about our jobs. Like a lot of us would probably call out a lot more if <laughs> we weren't worried about where the next check was going to come from, you know. And we've been in situations that are hard and Mercury, and like you know, do you call it out? But I think what he did, even though people didn't come to his immediate age aid, don't think, David, that these owners are now looking at their coaching staff, just thinking like, you know, what's the perception going to be if if something happens like the brian flores situation because what happened with brian flores i don't care what anybody says if you have a coach like brian flores that was able to turn his team around a team that was just going through it fighting through adversity and had the chance david we're talking about playoffs and stuff you know like there's no way you can make a a reasonable or a reasonable reason for this man to be gone i mean the fan base was even like like what (laughs) like what's going on and so And then the fact that he's interviewing and it's kind of like you never want to be demoted, David. Right. So it's like you're interviewing for head coaching jobs because that's what you've been. And, you know, in Baltimore, you know, I keep seeing these clips out of the combines going on of of Lamar Jackson during his combine. And people keep trying to, you know, kind of demoting him to a running back. You know, why do you want to be a quarterback? You know, why are you going to do the quarterback drills and stuff like that? Lamar said, I'm a quarterback. (laughs) That's what I am. And obviously he's proven his success now as a quarterback on the football field. And people still have questions. But with Brian Flores, he's a head coach, David. And it's not to say that head coaches can't do other positions, but he was interviewing for jobs because he had found success as a head coach, and he wanted to continue being a head coach. And all of a sudden, because of the systems that are in place and the systematic racism that, that exists, not just in football, David, but in society as a whole, Brian Flores find had found himself from the outside looking in again until Ali was thrown over talking on a sports show and the Pittsburgh Steelers all of a sudden hired him. But he's still aware and keen of the larger problem that exists. His lawyer is still going to be keen of a larger problem that exists. And best believe the NFL is still working on a way to try to fix this so it doesn't become an even larger problem as it did when it first broke when the news uh when the news leaked.
1: And the NFL's trying to put a lot of bandages on because you have what happened with Washington um, and that investigation that the, the um, Congress still wants to see portions of that investigation that have, that have not it's been true. released. We yeah. know that Daniel Snyder continues to fight and also try to manipulate who gets to be in charge of these investigations. And then you see the same yeah. thing with Dallas, where the federal government now wants to look into that settlement about the charges of sexual misconduct at, in the Dallas Cowboys organization that the NFL kind of swept under the table. And these were, I mean, both cases, the, the, if you just take the things that that were done to women in both Washington and Dallas, and right. you take those and put them in any other context, we would be talking about serious crimes here. And here in the NFL, we're talking about just financial issues. So these were crimes. Right. These were violations of these women in very real and personal ways. I mean, they they essentially, in Washington, essentially created porn without these women's consent for other right. executives to enjoy. And the same thing in Dallas, where you have people observing and watching these women while they're getting undressed and things like that, that don't have any business being in these spaces. And yet the league is saying it's handled because they were able to pay these folks off. That would never be. And again, like you said, this is about our society at large. The NFL is not unique in how it's handling this. But what are we as a society continuing to allow for these organizations, these large organizations to get away with? Yeah, we want the product. I want to support players. I want the, the right. average person who's working these jobs. It's not their fault. But we've had some point there has to be a level of accountability for right. the NFL and these teams and how they conduct their business. But what
0: you're saying, David, is so spot on. And what I'm realizing is that we have selective accountability in the National Football League and society as a whole. And like you said, I mean, there's so many issues happening, you know, with the National Football League. I mean, look at Tyreek Hill. If We're really looking at players look what happened in Tyreek Hill's instance but also going back to Baltimore look at Ray Rice and how Ray Rice was made a poster child in Washington I've been following the congressional hearings David being based in DC and what these women are saying we had new women come out with new allegations and yet we're seeing in DC Dan Snyder buy the most expensive house in the DMV area obviously looking pretty comfortable (laughs) like nothing's gonna happen and people are just saying all right well you guys are trying to preach that you guys are embracing women and we're seeing women hired in sports. And I'm not taking anything away from that. Like Washington having Jennifer King and you have a black female on the sidelines coaching running backs. But at the same time you're preaching all this, you have all these allegations and we're finding out more and more just how messy the situation is with like you said david uh, the investigation quote unquote taking place but there's money involved in bribes and that's not that's not unique it's something that unfortunately happens with rich people if you've seen Gary Epstein and that whole documentary people with money david and, and just america and the world they usually unfortunately get away with stuff because we do live in a capitalistic society let's just call a spade a spade so i that to say like you said what's happening in dallas it's like it's not even really a slap on the wrist it's not a slap on the wrist, but at the end of the day, David, I think what the what the NFL is seeing is, again, who, when does the accountability get loud? I'm so glad that you talked about the Dallas situation. I hadn't heard enough talk about it because it's like when it first happened, it was that kind of loud outcry. And then, David, now you have to really search to find articles that give you an update <laughs> on that situation. Dan Snyder in Washington and Washington had many issues. Obviously, the name change was the other one. And now they finally picked a name. The commanders after so long being judged for the former Washington name, Washington Redskins, which was offensive to Native Americans, you know, and I hate when people are like, you know, some are saying it's not okay. Some were saying it's not, but at the end of the day, if somebody says something's offensive, I'm not going to tell them that it's not. That's not my experience. I have not walked in those shoes, right? The same thing, same way somebody can't tell me what's offensive to me or David, I can't tell you what's offensive to you because your experiences and your uniqueness, only you can attest to that. So all that to say, I think the National Football League has all these issues going on, David, but they're just seeing that still, like I go back to the other day, the day. NFL is what, David? It's a business. They're still making money. They're still able to, to pay these executives top dollar. People are still going to the product, you know? And when we had no football, we were watching replays of football. We just needed that live sports action back. The Super Bowl now, you know, with COVID 19 somewhat subsiding, you know, you're selling the crazy ticket prices and things like that. So I say all that to say I think the NFL is really looking at how society reacts. Now, Washington, I'll tell you, the needle is going to stay on Dan Snyder. And just because the fan base, they hate the guy. I'm not going to lie to you, they really hate the guy. Fire Dan, it was Fire Bruce Allen before, now it's Fire Dan Snyder. Washington fans have been trying to find ways for a long time to get rid of him because during his tenure, Washington just has not been good. It's just fact.
1: I'm, He's got I mean, one playoff win freaking- since he bought the team?
0: <laughs> it's been bad, David. It's been bad in Washington. And Washington what is a football town. They bleed burgundy and golden. And so for this franchise to honestly be somewhat pretty much of an embarrassment, it's been hard for folks. And so they've been calling for new leadership. And, you know, Washington, going back to Band-Aids, okay, oh, we hire Jason Ryan, first black team president. Okay, maybe that will quiet people. Oh, we hired Julie Donaldson. We had the first female in a broadcast booth, but the problem still exists with the culture that was created and just paying off women. What does that say? Like you said, this, that says nothing. And this is why people want accountability. But again, it's been selective accountability as to who they choose to make pay for the wrongs that they did and that's the larger problem in the NFL. When it's not equal across the board, that's a larger problem. And that's why people are calling out what they're calling out. Now, again, not just in football. I know we're going to talk about this in college sports as well. Um, But we just have to think really as a whole, David, keep the pressure on the NFL because I think when pressure is on them, we at least will see some type of swinging of the needle and some type of change. I mean, look at the Gruden situation. You brought up Gruden's name before. I'd say a large part of that, especially with so many voices from society as a whole, putting pressure on the NFL to make the needed change.
1: And and, and of course the NFL played the okey-doke with that too and acted like, oh, well, John Gruden, yeah, we got rid of John Gruden. But he was sending those emails to somebody. Somebody was look, replying look. to him. Somebody saying it's okay for you to keep sending these. And there are a lot of people CC'd and, and receiving these emails and nobody said a word for years. And yeah. you fired a guy for his non-NFL comments when he wasn't working for the league. What does that tell you?
0: Exactly, David. Like you said, somebody was receiving those. I didn't see no bounce backs. You know, it's like, and, and you know, I didn't see anybody saying, you know, this is wrong. I don't want to be involved in this. And this is what it goes back to. It's like you know, a lot of people, you know, it's like nobody wants to call out people who were who were wrong. And then all of a sudden, when people get caught, you know, like oh, you know, it was nothing. It was a long time ago. No, what you did, it's blatant. It's right here. I mean, what is it? The proof is in the pudding, David. Like nobody put these words in your mouth. Me and you didn't type those emails, David. It was you. And so I think the NFL. Again, they're not they've not been consistent, on any stance that they've taken. And when you're not consistent on any stance that you're taking, it leaves a lot of murky, it leaves a lot of murky gray area. And I think that's what we're seeing in football. And that's why people have so many questions. And I think at the end of the day, football, I'd say, has been so successful because of the integrity of the game. The integrity of the game. So right now, I'd say on the football field, well, some people might question some of the officiating, you know, we we see some that that was a catch, that was no catch, but overall, we believe in the integrity of, of the game but we can't believe in the integrity of the leadership because time and time again, David, it's being questioned and we're left going, hmm, what next? And I think that's where we are right now in the NFL. And it's a, it's a horrible standstill to be at. And especially in a sport that, again, is praising itself for all of their historic women hires. You're also not doing anything to the women that were wronged by people that were employed by you.
1: And and we, I, I'd like to see fans become more aggressive in the way that they approach accountability for the leagues because 99% of these teams are receiving public financing in some sort or subsidies in some sort mm-hmm. from states, local governments, somebody is giving you that money so they should be accountable to right. the fans in that regard. You are corporate citizens that we support. It's different than me not I don't I don't give money locally. I know that to subsidize most businesses. Right. But I give my tax dollars go to the New Orleans Saints.
0: They do. (laughs) They do, right? It's like politics, right? It's like, you know, you select your politicians. My dollars also help. Like you said, I have a voice in sports. And so what, what you're saying, David, is exactly spot on. But the problem is the fan noise is usually loud at first, and then it dwindles down. And when you don't keep that needle on that pressure point, David, of course, what happens? The pain starts to subside. And when that happens, again, you start to what? You start to forget about it. And so to your point, it's on us. It's on people. Social media, everything makes it loud. That's one thing I'll say about Washington. Washington fans, I feel like, have not let up on the pressure on Dan Snyder. And they're not going to let up on the pressure on Dan Snyder. But if we're being honest, David, the problem also with sports is that a lot of times people forget things when times are going well for them. Meaning, if Washington were to somehow turn the season around, find the quarterback Went of the future, 13 games. Yep. Yeah, let me tell you, oh, okay, well, okay, well, well, Dan Snyder was wrong, but um, but the product on the field is good. And that's the problem in, in, in sports as a whole. We care about winning, and the winning ties into the business side of it, David. And again, that's the larger point, part of the problem. If, we, if we're really going to have this conversation, Ben Roethlisberger just retired. We just celebrated Ben Roethlisberger for retiring. He's celebrated for what? For his winning. But, David, your history encompasses everything. David, he had some stuff on his rap sheet that people were not talking about. Why though? Because he was a winning quarterback.
1: In the but National it's League. but let, we, like you said, let's be real too. Because when Kobe Bryant passed away, I felt and I told people, I said, yes, it is it is reasonable to bring up what happened in Colorado. It's absolutely yeah. reasonable because yeah. that's part of his story. It's
0: part of it, exactly. And you can't erase parts of your story. It happened. Now, yes, you can grow from that, but it's still part of your story. It but and,
1: and I and I said to people too, I said, Kobe showed growth. Whether or not it's real or not, I'll never know because I didn't get to talk to the man about those things. I don't know what's right. in his heart. I can't judge. But right. I saw him do the public work. Same with Michael Vick, in dealing with dogfighting. Michael Vick has done the public work. He's been an advocate for protecting animals. He's gone back to those same places where he grew up yep. and said, "This ain't right." We we and still we get the heat wrong. though,
0: right, David? He's, He's still, still paying gets for that. for it. Every but, time Michael Vick is on something, you will see something about the dog fighting, right, In the charges. It just, but it's these just other folks.
1: And, and I would say owners do a phenomenal job of this. Whenever there's something involving the team personnel, coaches, owners, whomever, they will find a way to turn it away. But then when the larger incidents come, they know which players they can turn it onto and put the blame on. Like you said, they will turn it back on a Ray Rice and say, Steve, that's Ray Rice did this. But if a coach beats his wife, you ain't going to hear about it. You won't. will hear about that.
0: You won't. And so under the rug exactly
1: and the same thing with what major league baseball has done in a different ex- to a different extent they turn this argument and the owners are do all do this with us as fans is make us dislike the players and right. make us want to side with the owners which makes right. no sense because we have far more in common with those players than we do with any of those owners we will never be in a room with those owners as equals uh-huh. they will never look at you that way they will never treat you that way but I could see a player at a restaurant. He could shake my hand and say, how you doing? Because he's been he came from where I came from. Right. I'm right. not getting that from an owner, but they're doing this in Major League Baseball now. And, they, you know, they're trying to make you feel like the players are the ones who are messing up the season. They do that with the NFL play when the players are not grateful. This is how they mess up your season. Right. When these players are asking right. for things, real tangible improvement for their lives. And then, like you saw with the Major League Baseball Players Association, says we're gonna put a million dollars up to help with these workers who aren't gonna be doing it. Day later, and they've got a full plan. They talk to AFL CIO. We know who we're gonna meet with, we know how we're gonna distribute these funds. Major League Baseball comes out a day later and says, We're gonna do that too. Do you have a plan? No, but we're gonna do it too. Well, you just right. again you're trying to steal the steam from the players and say, Well, everybody's doing it, everybody's giving. So it's no longer a gesture that means something, even though proportionally speaking, a million dollars from the group of players. Is far more than a million dollars from the group of owners. Mm,
0: yep you know, David, you speak on, this is why I love talking to you, David. You just speak on so many real, it's just true. We keep it real. And like you said, and many times, right, we turn our hate or anger, let's say, to the players, like you said, and what you said is right. We're going to all have more in common with these players because usually they come from our communities They're from our background. And like you said, I mean, very rarely, very rarely one would you get to even get a chance to be an owner, right? Like that is just super hard, far in between, because usually they're not going to be in the same spaces as you, right? You're somehow going to have to get a fair to invite to some type of party or maybe you're working at a nice company, you know, where your company has a suite next to the owner's box or something like that. But that's not most folks, David. And that's just not, you know, that's not the real America that I'm speaking to. That's not your blue collar worker that I'm speaking to in America. And like you said, but they have to do that. Why? Because they're protecting themselves. And at the end of the day, David, players come and go right like players get older players go through their you know they have their time and in the sunshine and then they retire well the great thing about ownership david in sports is that you usually are there for a long time and then you know when it's time to let go i'm just gonna hand it off to my son but oh i'm still here you know and it's a family business so it's really like you can't get rid of them and that's why it's so also so hard to get into ownership right because it was it was a built circle for certain people and you had to pretty much be born into it so it's not your mama or your daddy's fault that you know that just wasn't part of your family tree going back to the family tree conversation and so you know we're looking at baseball baseball fans should be excited right now david we should be ready for spring and and baseball games and instead we're looking at all that's going on and just saying what the hell (laughs) i mean that's what fans are saying like when can we get our sport back and you know obviously you're somebody that covers baseball you love baseball i love baseball growing up you know and it's supposed to be a time where we're celebrating the, the growth of the sport um you know we see the growth of these new hires with baseball um getting more women involved in the sport which i have love to see getting more minorities involved in sport even though again going back to diversity baseball is a sport that could, that needs it to work it, it has to put work in <laughs> i mean we, we just got to keep it real and be honest with it but at the end of the day like you said it's so easy to place the blame on the others and because we love players so much and because they're so accessible it's also easy to put the hate and anger on them, David, at that same time, at the same drop of the straw. I think that's exactly what we're seeing right now in sports. And that makes the owners, right, look good. They're saying, well, hey, that's why you need to be on our side. That's why they need to be listening to us to disagreeing with what we say. But in actuality, we know deeper on the subject level and on the surface, that's really not what's happening, right? These guys deserve to fight for what's best for them. This is their livelihood. This is their life. They're thinking about their family. So, yes, baseball and any sport, I mean, it's fun, but it's also a job. Just like the same way, David, if me and you are doing good work, we talked about this before the show, we deserve our fair share of compensation and value for the work that we do, right? Because we put the work in, we've the experience um, and there's no way, you know, that we should be getting the same things. if if things keep increasing, if things keep going up. So I think that's where we are right now. It sucks for fans. I know, I know. And everyone's kind of just like, well, well, how do we get back? But, you know, it's also not easy. And I'm also for people just continuing to fight for what's right. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing. We're just seeing people not let up. Yes. You have to compromise, obviously on certain things, but also, you know, what you deserve and you always have to know your worth and your value.
1: Absolutely. And I think we have to remember, as you said, these are jobs and owners and leagues do, do a good job of framing this as if they these the whole it's a privilege it is not a privilege it is not a privilege every one of those players earned their place there They
0: worked to get there very hard especially in baseball <laughs> there's no connection
1: hard. that can teach you how to hit a curveball there's no connection <laughs> that's gonna make you take a hit by a 250 pound linebacker ain't hey, no you, there, you earned that every day probably started at the age of seven Take learning this and working towards this, but they make you, they put you in this position where you view these athletes when they say anything negative about their working conditions as they are ungrateful. And why would they not be willing to take this because, and then they point it back to you as the fan and say, wouldn't you take $10 million to do this? Well, of course I would because I ain't making $10 million at my job (laughs) over here.
0: Exactly.
1: Exactly.
0: What I was going to say, David, this is the same thing that, you know, to bring Colin Kaepernick back into this, this is the same thing they we saying when Colin Kaepernick first started speaking out. And this is the other side saying, well, why isn't he grateful? He's playing the sport that he loves and he's making millions of dollars. So why is he calling out police brutality? And that's what Colin Kaepernick was trying to say. His job, is also, I mean, it's encompassing of everything. He's still a black man in America, folks, that doesn't detach. The same when we had our conversation about being a man and woman in media, David, at the end of the day, I'm always gonna be a black woman. That's gonna be the one thing that's consistent about me. I might change my hair, I might get his hand, you know, I might get bigger, I might get smaller, anything. But at the end of the day, I'm still going to be black. That's how I came into this world and that's how I'm gonna come out of this world. Same thing for Colin Kaepernick. He just so happened to also play football. And obviously now he's transcended, shout out to the award that the movie just got, um, but he's transcended. send it now into producing and obviously being an advocate and being an activist and speaking out and so like you said at the end of the day you should always do what's best for you and your family and no one can tell you what to do in terms of that but at the end of the day like you said david easy to turn that anger and blame but what they're doing It's very hard. There's a reason why, again, many of us are watching the Combine, never participated in one, and best believe I wouldn't have been good at any of the stuff that these guys are doing. There's a reason why I didn't play sports professionally, but I like obviously covering these athletes that are able to do it at a level unlike anybody else, right? I mean, even honestly you can go to a basketball court in a community and just see kind of the guys or girls, you know, are kind of going to probably be like the next because they're just so athletic and they can just do these things that everybody else can't. And so that's what I think it has to come down to at the end of the day. Baseball football any any sport it's a job it's a job and with jobs comes responsibilities but also comes benefits and these benefits are benefits that you worked for so like you said i've never used the word privilege with a job that you have because you worked to get there you worked to tell off probably to get there i almost said something else david and you deserve to be there and then also if we're talking about jobs you also have to work to stay there because what's happening in sports each year you have a new crop of people coming behind you so you're also fighting to keep your spot keep your starting spot. That's a whole nother layer as well <laughs> on top of that. So you can continue to prove your worth and your value and keep getting paid for your job.
1: And I think, you know, if we all looked at it that way, you're doing that at your job and I'm doing that at my job. And we're all doing that at our jobs every day. It's the same situation. We all got a boss. We all got a place you got to show up to every day. And it doesn't matter how talented you are. There's somebody coming behind you who wants what you got. It doesn't matter if you work at mcdonald's there's somebody who wants to be on the on the register who is sitting back there right now mopping the floor they want your spot it's true (laughs) so i'm not coming
0: to america right like he wanted to you know keep working his way up what was it like you know from from washing doing the fries to washing the lettuce like there's always (laughs) going to be someone that is going to be coming and that's if there's no guarantee in your job because they're going to always look for the best candidate available. And the scary thing about it though, sometimes too, and this is why, you know, you have to know your rights and rules is you never want them to try to let go of you for someone cheaper, right. Or less talented. So I think this is why, again, you have to look at a job. And I always tell people to put yourself in those shoes and think about your own job when you're talking about these players and just judging them from the outside looking in.
1: Yep. Um, Let's transition to this because over the last year or so, HBCU football has become a much larger topic of discussion in the sports world started with Dion arrives at Jackson State State. (laughs) two years ago, then you get Eddie George, then you get just the influx of of some very notable players coming in not just to Jackson State but to some of these other programs as well recruiting better than they had in the past utilizing NIL maybe in ways that people did not expect HBCUs to be able to do so yes. and make themselves a little bit more competitive. I was at the legacy bowl here in new Orleans yes. um, for the first ever at legacy bowl and got to speak with Doug Williams and Shaq Harris. And obviously Doug is, is a major figure in the DMV.
0: Yes. We love Doug and like James Shaq Harris. I and mean, you're talking about legends
1: yes. of the game,
0: David. Like,
1: <laughs> And so we've seen all this mm-hmm. and yet, It's again, college football is college football. They are competing in the same ways, the same things that other schools have to do to compete and get players. They are doing at the level that they are capable of, but we've seen a more direct backlash Mm -hmm. of what's happening at HBCUs, more criticism when Jackson state signs a five-star player, than it would be if that player had signed with a mediocre program of of a higher at a higher division school, which Florida state is right right now, Florida state is a mediocre program in the ACC and Jackson state is an elite program amongst division uh, two schools of the, of of that series. So, but it became an issue that Jackson state gets that player. It becomes an issue that NIL people said, this is purely an NIL decision. But people don't make NIL decisions to go to Bama. People aren't making NIL decisions to go to USC, which ain't won nothing in quite Uh some time now. They're not making NIL decisions to go to Texas, which ain't won nothing other than when, you know, a very small stretch of years over the last 40 years. You got
0: this. Maryland beats Texas, folks. We're proud of that.
1: (laughs) So what is this? Yeah. You know, and, and the Hugh Jackson situation, which certainly, again, I'm right Ooh. in here watching it in Louisiana, talking to people yeah. here and understanding, understanding, yes, it was a huge mistake, but are, he ain't the first coach. Are we looking at it as a black coach making a mistake or a coach Ooh. making it a mistake? You know, and,
0: da- okay, go ahead, David. There's so no, much said, just,
1: where are we with that?
0: Oh, my gosh. Okay, so there's so much. And so, you know, the Hugh Jackson situation, I definitely want to talk with you about because I'm... I'm very close with Gremlin. I've talked with alumni from Gremlin. I know a lot of groups with Gremlin alumni. So it's a lot of mixed emotions and feelings about that situation. But I'll start with the first thing that you talked about, which is Dion, Jackson State. We know Travis Hunter, obviously, was the number one ranked player in the country. Florida State felt his type of way about, it. not just Florida State, but essentially what this comes down to, David, Is the the top schools getting beat at their own game? Like I said for a long time the recruiting game, and most of us went to larger schools, the recruiting game for a long time it was determined. You kind of knew where these top players were gonna go. Yes, Alabama has been a powerhouse football program for a long time. And a lot of guys will go to Bama because they want to what? They want to go play at the next level. What LSU has built, right? I mean, you know, has been incredible. And that's why they put all that money into that amazing locker room facility that many schools wish they had. But I think all of a sudden people are saying, Well, hey hbcus are getting back competitive. They're getting people back in the game. Dion has kind of put a cool face to HBCUs. Because HBCU football has been good. There's some people saying, you know, all of a sudden—no, it's been good. You all just haven't been watching or following along with the program. Jack, but what Dion did is what Dion Sanders has always did. He added that flash and that extra sparkle, and now everybody's going down to that. I've been to Jackson State. I used to say my grandmother's, who didn't live far from Jackson State University. A lot of talented people have come to that program in school. But now Dion has more people wanting investing in HBCUs. If you look at the guys on game days, they're up on par with like guys at these top five schools, making sure that they have um, suits to wear on game days, making sure that they have the proper equipment to wear on game days and so much more. And so I think now HBCU sports are getting a new lens looked at them. They're getting, people are readjusting their eyes to focusing, David, on HBCU sports. And I think this is a huge moment. I mean, we just watched the NBA all-star game. We just watched two schools here from the DMV battle it out on the basketball court in Cleveland. That meant so much because there's talent here And when you put a spotlight on that talent and this game was broadcast on three major networks, David, that was a first. That wasn't heard of. And so what you're doing now is showing that you're investing on HBCUs. You're betting on HBCUs. And I think what comes out of it is going to be huge because now what's going to happen is more networks are going to what? Put more HBCU games on. Like you said, now kids are looking at I don't know if I just want to go to Alabama just because they're good. I think I want an experience. You know, I actually want to learn from greats. Be around people that are like me. Learn about black excellence in the classroom. Oh, but also go play for a good sports program. And, you know, you talked about what HBCs are doing. Hugh Jackson just brought in Gremlin's largest recruiting class. That's huge. in football program history, folks, that's huge. Gremlin has been a powerhouse football program for a long time. but If you look at their record last season, has been playing great as of late. And so I think what Hugh Jackson did is they knew they had to bring somebody in to shake the waters because people are saying, oh, look what's happening with Jackson State and Deion Sanders. Oh, my gosh, we just had the first sold out celebration bowl, sold standing room only tickets. That was huge. This is a new turning page. This is a new leaf, David, for HBCUs. And now we're entering a new era, I'd say, of HBCUs where people are going back to looking at the grades that came before. You mentioned Doug Williams is obviously still like beloved Not just in the DMV, DMV, but I'd say just kind of throughout the sports landscape. Still a very humble guy that's been and went on to accomplish so much. But they're saying, look, these kids are saying, look, mom, dad, I want to give something a chance because I'm believing in something. And that belief, unfortunately, I think wasn't there for a long time for top recruits because they have birdies in their ear saying, if you ever want to make it pro, you cannot go to an HBC. You got to go to a school where they have the money and the facilities and they have the exposure to get you to that next level but now you're bringing these guys that played in the nfl david that played on the top level or they've coached on the top level they're bringing talent to these schools and what happens when you bring talent the media attention follows the money follows and so on and so on and so this is the new landscape that we're in and hugh jackson looking over at gremlin looking at the swag saying hey you know the swag is back uh but gremlin has been here for a while knowing the grapes that came before him i think was all of a sudden like well how do i rebuild he looked at the offense, the offense, David, it needed help. I'm just going to be honest with you. Grandma's offense last year, I was watching games. I almost wanted to go in and play quarterback for a second to get the ball down the football field. And I say that to say not in a mean or derogatory way, but it's just keeping it 100, David. And that's all I know how to do is keep it 100. So I think Hugh Jackson knew he had a heavy had a heavy lift on his shoulder. He's entering a program, a storied Gramlin football program, right, that has a history. The most, most, most
1: famous black college brand there is in the world.
0: I mean, literally, yes, the Gramlin State Tiger. You look at what Gramlin State has done, playing overseas and stuff like that. I mean, Gramlin football, folks, is historic. And if you don't know about it, know about it, do your history, do your research. So I say, to say, I say that to say also, Hugh, Hugh Jackson is not only helping Gramlin football, he's also helping himself. It's a rebrand and emergence for himself to show what he can do on the coaching level. Because better believe what Dion Sanders is doing has people looking at Dion, and people are even looking at the NFL and these open coaching positions saying, hey, what Dion did at, at Jackson State, can he do in the National Football League? It's the same thing Pat Ewing was trying to do here at Georgetown with the basketball program when he got tired of being an assistant coach in the NBA. Now, unfortunately for Pat Ewing, things aren't going as smoothly as it's been going for Dion. Georgetown is a whole nother situation. But I said that to say, Hugh Jackson and this Art Brow situation, David, I've been talking about this all week. I've, you know, obviously having an inside ear. I think the, I think what Hugh Jackson was thinking about, I think going back to what I mentioned earlier, I think Hugh Jackson was thinking in his head, grambling wants to win. I need to get them winning. So I think from a football standpoint, I really think he hired Art brows who has a history of winning and proven success on offense thinking, hey, he can come help my struggling offense, right? And so there was a reason why he started working with the team two weeks before it got announced right and so I think I think they thought there would be noise I don't know if they thought it would be as much noise as it was because they are an HBCU and unfortunately because HBCUs as we know David don't get the media attention that they deserve the last time that Gremlin was in the national kind of headlines this largely and it wasn't even this largely I would say when you go back to the locker room situation when the players were boycotting hideous conditions that they were facing in the Gremlin State locker room which Which was was a state
1: issue and people right. need to and remember it that. Me. It wasn't it a rambling issue. That was the state of Louisiana funding issue and because it was they had, had their budget dec- decreased every year for a decade. People need right. to remember that because, you know, like they like to say these black programs ain't doing nothing. And that's it's what they did.
0: They spent funding. it on them and they spent it on them. And that's exactly what they said. And also, let's be honest. That hurt Grambling's recruiting when guys saw that, right? So, and everything kind of intersects and ties in. So now Grambling State is back in the headline. Hugh Jackson is like, I'm here. He's preaching about forgiveness and all this other stuff. And people are saying, and it goes back to, again, I think what we do in society is we have selective forgiveness because when your favorite football player, if we're going to be honest, David, Deshaun Watson, a lot of folks were calling out Deshaun Watson when these allegations came out. But if your team were to sign Deshaun Watson and your team is struggling on offense and your team needs a quarterback... Better believe y'all are going to be rooting for Deshaun Watson come this 2022 football season. Again, we're just keeping it real and being honest. But what Hugh Jackson, I thought, was thinking is I'm bringing the high-powered name who can help put this on a high-powered offense. But what Hugh Jackson was not thinking is the culture and state that we're living in where finally there's voices and light on females who have been claiming, you know, for a long time to be victims of sexual assault. Finally! Finally, getting in the spotlight and being able to speak their truth, David, which for a long time has not happened for females. Finally, getting to speak their truth and getting people to believe them and show receipts for what happened. People were saying, "What? Wait, Hugh? Like all this stuff is going great for HBCUs, and we have a positive spotlight on us, and you do this, you make this higher. You, you know what happened at Baylor, and that was a Baptist university. That all that happened.
1: Fifty-two, at, at least fifty-two cases." It was it was, it was.
0: it was. Seventeen years. allegations, right? Like it was crazy. I mean, it was a history. It was a culture. Talk about a culture of sexual assault. And again, this was at a university that preaches Christians. And not
1: a big you, Baylor is not a big. It's not big.
0: School. So when you think about that, like you said, on perspective with the numbers and everything was just kind of whitewashed there. Because why? What were they were doing, David? Winning. They were playing. They were winning. And let's remember, especially in Texas, football winning people like that. All right. It just is what it is. So I think Hugh Jackson thought, okay, he's been out the game for a couple, a little while. We already knew he didn't get two coaching positions, at least because of his background. So I think he thought, okay, let me just try this, you know, because people are now just relooking at HBCUs. So let me just try to shake things up. But lo and behold, first of all, I've never heard Gremlin being talked about that much in a long time, David. <laughs> like, I mean, you have to go back probably before I was born to see that much talking about Grandma State University. But I think what's interesting, and this is why I've been making sure people to point out the Grandma State alumni, David, and you can tell me your perspective on this, but I've heard 50 50 about it. I feel like some felt that Hugh Jackson got belittled and pushed into the decision obviously and our brows have since spoken out I think many of us knew it wasn't just his, just his decision to all of a sudden resign you know the school was doing the pr ploy which they had to do um and have him step down but some alumni are saying look we want Gramlin to win and if this guy they're saying if he's been exonerated and you know there hasn't well, been he wasn't
1: exonerated to that's the and that's, thing
0: and that's why people have to look into the issue and so this is what I've been trying to talk with alumni about David But it's interesting because at the end of the day, they're saying, well, look, Hugh made the decision. He should have have stuck with the decision. On the other side of it, the alumni are kind of saying what the national media are saying, what many of us are saying was like, look. This was the wrong decision to hire when there's so many qualified people out there who can help turn Gramlin State's offense around. So it's been mixed feelings. I wanna make sure people understand that because I think a lot of people are saying the alumni were mad. No, Doug Williams was not happy with it and he spoke out about it. And there's been other vocal voices in the program that has spoke out, of, out about it. But the alumni, again, it's been mixed feelings. And actually some alumni were actually mad at Doug for saying what he said so publicly because they were saying that's gonna hurt Grambling State's donations would hurts the HBCUs as a whole when you come out and speak about not wanting to support the university, I guess back to the, to the university, which overall hurts the program. So again, I just want to kind of paint that mm-hmm. landscape for everybody for them to kind of see the full picture. So I think it's it's interesting. And then you look at what Gramlin State David has done now with the hiring, and now you're looking at someone who got hired that's had a Title IX complaint against him. So was the problem which isn't really, resolved either. Was the problem really fixed, David? If it goes back to saying, look, we want somebody that respects women that can also coach football to be on this staff. And so I think it's a larger problem. Now, this new problem that Gremlin has isn't as loud. It's not as loud, right? Because I don't even know if people know that Gremlin actually has since hired um, somebody else, but it's just, it's a hard, it's a hard place to be. And I think for a program, again, that's trying to change this image and get back to winning ways. But I'm really closely watching this whole situation with John Simon. I want to see again, if alumni are accepting him. Like you said, that situation has not been resolved and we're in a new era a new Me Too era where finally, again, women are getting their voices heard louder and clearer about things that have happened to them and wrongs that have been done to them. So it's an interesting place to be. And I think if if Gramlin weren't in HBCU, David, I'd also be interested to see if the cries would have been this loud, but also does this make the cries louder because they are in HBCU, right? There's many questions. It's
1: it's such a weird space to live in because as Black folk, we don't we have we are conditioned to say we keep our stuff our mess inside because once it gets to the public, right. they will view it in, through a prism that we're not comfortable with because they will take it right. and run with it. But right. at the same time there's a part of us that that also has to say wrong is wrong yeah. and we got to speak up about what we think is wrong. And I think exactly. that's where Doug felt like he was in the position of this is wrong. It's right. just wrong and right. the university handled it in such a poor way a by denying the fact that he was even being considered for that browser was being considered to be hired which they yeah, shouldn't that was have a done. bad
0: luck that was a bad luck
1: saying no comment the day yeah. before it happens and then the first interview you give is with a local TV station and not to the public at large to ask some very direct questions you let him go and do a one-on-one interview where he essentially says I was exonerated. I'm not, I didn't, you know, whatever happened there was rough, but it, you tell me the rules and I'll follow them. He took no responsibility for what, what happened.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and so I think that it just started getting worse. And then for the message to come from Hugh Jackson's foundation was a big not Hugh mistake.
0: Jackson, David, I know you saw me tweet that, but that was a PR ploy because in their mind, Hugh Jackson's foundation has done great work. So but they then were they naked. blew themselves up know, to put themselves know, up for
1: tax. Now they're up for tax evasion issues. Because they exposed that their money has not been going to where they... So he's like...
0: It's opened a can of worms. And then it puts Hugh Jackson back in the spotlight. And it puts us back in the Black coaches' spotlight. It puts us back in the HBCU spotlight. So I think what this has done is honestly just opened up a whole can of worms in a situation that we've just not been talking about. And, you know, my biggest thing is I'm... I, I I really hope for the for the Gremlin State football players that they're able to get through the situation because at the end of the day, you know, this was not what they this is not what they signed up, and it's for, not right? their it's, fault. It's not at all. It's not at all. But in the alumni too, I think it's just hard because let's be honest, you're not going to make every alumni happy. Something I pointed out was University of Maryland and the whole situation with DJ Durkin, folks, we had a player die under this coach's watch. Jordan McNair, I know the McNair family, he, he, a player died, a man is no longer with us. This man just got hired, David, by Texas A&M. He was hired before that at Ole Miss. And no one's talking about that. And that was a clear violation of what this coach has done. Now, in both the situations, we're talking about two white coaches. Let's let's just call again, call it what it is. But it's interesting how at Maryland, DJ Durkin has still been able to find some success and still find jobs. Right. And then when it comes to Hugh Jackson, the HBCU, just how this noise has been. I'm not saying these are too similar. They're not the same situation They're two very different things. It's
1: how they get painted.
0: But it's how they get painted. And that's something I see not enough people talking about. And they're both horrible situations that happened. Both of them. I mean, there's there's unfortunately there's no way to you can't remedy it. There's no way it's going to get better. But, you know, you talk about the foundation doing it. You think about, you know just putting these victims back through just all that they had to go through. But I think at the end of the day, I think Hugh Jackson, I really do think, I'm being honest, I think he was just thinking with a football mind that he wants to win so bad because he's trying to make a legacy at a program, which I think he can do if he is able to change Jackson State, or, I mean, Grambling around and compete with the Jackson States now
1: In of the world. Southern, gotta, you just got to start being Southern on a regular basis.
0: Because especially the Bayou Classic, Grambling folks are like, look, We got to get back to, we got to get back to winning over Southern and you understand how that is. Um, But I think, again, I think the whole situation was just messy how it played out. And I think, again, I think Gramlin has a lot, especially Hugh Jackson and the public guy, I think he's going to have a lot of work to do to try to mend the situation. But I'll tell you, I think Gramlin alumni, I think are standing by him pretty strong, but I think like, I don't think Doug was wrong to call it out. And it's interesting. You said, I think, right. I think a lot of black folks are saying like, we got to, we got it. What stays in our house kind of happens in our house, right? Because now you're exposing it to the world. But I do think with HBCUs, I do wish that the Gremlin. I do. This is what I wish. I wish Hugh Jackson had had a better conversation with Doug and other kind of uh, notable Gremlin State alumni and the University faculty. Because I do think David, it did not have to get to this point. Because right. it does. It looks messy. Because it's like the university was saying one thing, Hugh was saying one thing, Doug Williams was saying one thing. And if I'm outside looking in and I don't know much about HBCUs. And I'm thinking like, I do want to support HBCUs, but, but what is happening? I'm just confused. I did the am. whole
1: redemption angle that they tried to play on it was a bad, was just a yeah. bad decision.
0: Selective redemption. And that's what I said. A lot of times in society, we're selective. We have selective accountability and we have selective redemption. Because at the same time, if we're really thinking about folks who should get redemption, was our brows here. At the front of the list? <laughs> like i'm looking at my list and i'm thinking and you know it's interesting because you know i'll bring up a local issue so um where i am we have pg county which is the richest black county in america mm-hmm. Um, right now their state's attorney actually hired somebody that had killed somebody but he served his time in prison and now he's on retribution so the family of the person he killed of course they're pissed off and right now we're having a problem in Maryland where it's half and half. Some people are saying, all right, he served his time. He deserves a chance. Another, And the other side is like, wait, he killed somebody. I don't care if he served his time. He should never get a chance. And again, another not apples to apples and oranges to oranges. But it's very interesting, you know, the way people put redemption onto each other. But they, at the end of the day, I think Gremlin they're going to need to win. And they're just going to have to. And he's going to have to somehow show that his brainchild in his head is going to work out on the football field, because I think, of course, then the noise will start to die down. But I am interested in what's next for Art Bryles. I really am to see if anybody, you know, will want that heat, because I think he's showing that he does want to go back to coaching uh, in college football. But what does it
1: say mm-hmm. that for Art Bryles, the guy yeah. who coached the University of Houston, coached at Baylor, yeah. for him, and, and perception. Again, it's about perception. Yeah, For a guy like that to go for the Big 12 to go to the SWAC, what does it say what he's willing to do to get back in and that path does not exist for black coaches at all Ooh, that yeah. path, path does not exist and when we talk about the, the part about perception too when we talk about how they view these schools right. when you see Josh Allen come out of North Dakota nobody says why did he go to North Dakota nobody says right. when when, when You know, you can be, um, you got Kurt Warner, they're making, they made a movie out of Kurt Warner and he's going to Hall of Fame. He played at Northern Iowa when, you know, and nobody said Kurt Warner made a mistake going to Northern Iowa. Nobody said Tony Romo made a mistake going to Southern Illinois. Nobody said, you know, we see every year players coming from these other small programs and nobody said those guys made mistakes in choosing those schools. But whenever an elite black athlete chooses to go to a black school, then all of a sudden we're talking about you've made a huge mistake. Yeah. Yeah, it's what so it, true, David. You know, that part to me, there's a lot of people going to a lot of small schools all over this country. A and no, lot nobody
0: of says anything. And some of the best players, right, come out of these small schools. I mean, look at the NFL draft. Recently, look at the draft and the players coming from black schools. I had to talk about this on my podcast with the a, a representative, David, from the NFL. The people are saying, well, well, wait a minute. David, we're searching. We're searching. Where are the HBCU players? And so, to your point, again, we're selective about what we want to be loud about. Because, right, you know, and some of these players, you know, pick these, you know, schools none of us have ever heard of to go to. And all of a sudden, you don't hear about it till so the player gets good. And then all of a sudden, you know, the attention is on them. Then we're like, oh, okay, well, it's fine. He went to a small program. You know, we make all these types of excuses, right, David, um, as to why they picked that small program, but why they're still excelling and how we think they still can exceed, right, on the on the next level, right? But for HBCUs, it's like, oh, well, well they didn't play the same type of competition. They, you know, they, they couldn't have gotten as good. And it's always an excuse, right, when it comes to it. But you're looking at these other schools that are smaller and the competition looks the same. And honestly, if you've been to an HBC program, it's not no it, – you got some big guys, David, that are playing on
1: – There's that no – we already know. The gap between – we already have a struggle, you know, the college football playoff. People talk about you can't get four good teams in the college football playoff to have five good games.
0: Ah, yeah. And that's so if we don't
1: say that, then yeah. so why are we talking about, like, it's a, it's a shock that you have discrepancies within small college football. That, yes, there are elite play- – there's not a single conference up and down where you can't find some elite players on very bad programs or you can't find some very uh, bad players on elite programs.
0: It's so true. The
1: star ratings that you give to kids at the age of 16 and 17 oh. are the observations of people again, watching huge discrepancies in competition. Cause you know, you've been to a high school game on a Friday night and there is a man child on some teams, and on the other team, it looks like there's a bunch of children exactly. who belong that have, have no business being on the field with that kid. And you're exactly. like, they're giving him five stars, but I could run through this this group.
0: Exactly, exactly. So, like you say, it goes to a like, it goes to a, a whole larger situation. I mean, let look, let's look at Trey Lance, actually, perfect example, right? You know, people were saying about Trey Lance as he really had to play the competition, a higher level competition. Does he have enough games? This man still got drafted, David, right? Right. And people are believing in him. Right. You know, goodbye, Jimmy G. <laughs> Best wishes to you. You know, don't let the good Lord hit you where he spits you. But all that to say, it's so interesting. And this is why, though, this is why Doug is beloved in Washington, D.C., because what he did, what Doug Williams did, David, at a time when people did not want him to do it, at a time when people did not believe in him, it was historic. All right. Because we had people then having to have that conversation about HBCUs and the greatness that this brings. Still to this day, Eddie Robinson does not get the credit that he deserved for what he did for Grambling State and that football program, all right? He just doesn't. He just doesn't. That's why every time I hear it, I'm like tweeting it out. I'm like, finally, people realize his greatness. And why doesn't he get it, David? Because he coached at an HBCU. Yep. Because yep. it's not seen the same. And let we, him have done this out of Alabama. But
1: let him have had the opportunity. Take, if we had seen Doug, uh, if we had seen um Eddie Robinson's best teams
0: mm-hmm.
1: compete against the best white teams of his day. Right. When you're producing, when HBCUs at that time, and like still to this day, HBCUs occupied 10% of the spots in the hall of fame to this day. And we've seen the major drop off in drafts. So that tells you how many great players that were sitting in we have those. Schools. Yeah. So you tell me if he had gotten to play Bama straight up, if they had gotten to play Texas straight up, which didn't integrate until the late sixties, Let's be real. Texas didn't have black players until the late 1960s, mm-hmm. which is the reason a lot of black Texans don't mess with the University of Texas. Right, right. You telling me that Eddie Robinson wouldn't have won those games? You are okay. gonna tell me legitimately? And, you know, and, and his perception, it's perception—it's—it goes from there. It's the same way we go have the, we could have the Jawan Howard Kim Mulkey discussion right now because Jawan Howard, yeah, he put his hands on that man's face, and he should have done that. He got suspended for it. Kim Mulkey threw a fist at a ref during the game. Walked on the court, and nothing happened. Yep. It let that have been let that have been Dawn Staley on the other end of that, walking on the court and swinging a ref. Let that have been one of these
0: reaction.
1: So, I mean, like that's what this is part of. It is that the the way that they keep framing the conversation for us. It's different, yeah. unless if we're gonna be real. If a coach messes up, then a coach messes up. Stop trying to frame it differently because Jawan Howard's a six foot nine inch black man in a situation I'm where somebody so put their hands on his chest, this. Yes. but this little older white woman could go on the court and swing on a ref. And if that had been anybody else, you would have said she needs to be suspended immediately and needs to be sat down. Right? You're talking about firing these people if they had done this. Right. If that had been a black coach,
0: and this, but this is why David, and this goes back to why we need black people in sports media, David, because it's perspective, because we're going to call out the wrongs. I tell this all the time, loving someone or loving something is loving them for their goodness and their greatness, but also critiquing them and calling out when they're wrong. It's just like a child. You love them with all your heart, but when they do something wrong, your love and it's tough love is calling it out because what's that going to do? That's going to make them better. And hopefully, more appreciative about the situation in which they're in. So, to your point, yes, Juwan Howard was wrong. I'm not gonna even be a think tank about it. I mean, a lot of times, should we be in situation. me and you may even be in situations sometimes where we have to realize who we are, what we're doing, and that I can't do certain things <laughs> because I have a job, you know, and because I'm just, you know, it, it goes back to that. Like I said, Kim, the fact that she didn't, I mean, the fact that Howard was painted. And it's so unfortunate, but again, this is why we need diversity in media, because this needs to be called out. You know, Karan um, Phillips with with Deadspin, I think does a great job a lot of the times, calling a lot of these things out. Our guy, Rob Parker, also somebody who's not afraid to call things out. But, you know, I I think, you know, and I think just even going back to Grambling and what HBCs have done for society, you know, I think about, remember, uh, folks, the first uh, college game, first collegiate game to be played overseas, Tokyo. Grambling. Grambling. So people, this is why I said people have to know their history and to know we're grambling. And not just grambling, but like we're HBCU standard society. You talked about it. The whole pro football hall of fame, So many great players from HBCU programs that had to prove their worth on the football field, but went on to prove it at the highest level. You can't take that away. And like you said, even with the fall off, they still have those numbers. And these are some of the best that the game of football has seen. This is some of the Talking best. About the greatest wide receiver in.
1: of all time, the greatest running back potentially I mean, of all time. you can't make this
0: up. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And then, you know, I love that you talked about the black Texans because the same thing I think about even with the Washington commanders now, the reason why you have a lot of Cowboys fans in Washington is because Washington was the last team to integrate. So Doug Williams playing and winning and becoming the first black quarterback to start and win in the Super Bowl on a team that was the last to integrate and had to be forced to integrate, I mean, it's crazy you know this is a conversation i had with the late great sam cunningham and what he helped to do for alabama when usc went in to play them and it's these conversations and even alabama when you think about it you think about how racist that school's history is and now Black players are the reason why they win championships. I mean, it's crazy, but sometimes how history, David, will work itself out. But it goes back to everything we're talking about is interconnected. Yes, they're separate issues, but they all tie into the same thing. That's why I said this ties into the sports media angle. It ties into how HBCUs are covered and the exposure that they get. And overall, it ties into a whole of society calling out the wrongs that exist um, You know, in between. And so this is why we have these conversations, David. This is why we can't stop having these conversations. This is why people have to put this on social media. Talk to teams. Shoot, people still send letters to teams. I was spending the hillside. People still send letters the old-fashioned way. Get a good stamp, lick and put it on the envelope, or however you need to do. But we have to keep our voices loud. But I think at the end of the day, David, it goes back to like you said, the growth, and that's what we want. We want growth in the NFL. We want growth in sports media. I think even for Grambling State, we want hopefully the growth, learning from why the situation was wrong, and how to make it right I mean yes I think there is are a society I do believe in second chances I'm not going to say I'm not but at the same time again I'm looking at that list and I think you just have to be really smart with those second chances because at the same time we're saying this nobody wants to give Ray Rice a second chance in the National Football League David even after he apologized continuously his cause... girlfriend who became his wife apologized for him and even said he deserves a chance And now you don't hear about Ray Rice other than sometimes when he's maybe coming to your local community and making a speech about why he did what, why he did the wrong that he did. And that's the only way now he's kind of even making some type of money. So I say that to say again, society is just very interesting on who we choose to give a second chance to.
1: And we're rewarding Greg Hardy for his actions by letting him be a UFC star. There we go. Right. And what he did, exactly
0: right. So, I mean... And let's i mean we talked about the chiefs earlier um andy Reid's done i'm just i'm just saying david if if, if we're going to be having no, no we... conversation i mean i'm just saying again it's like so this is but this is what makes it rough and hard i think because again we're not consistent across the board and i think that's why the national football league they will listen they will listen to what you make louder like i mean even this dan snyder situation i really want to see because it's not going to go away He's still there and people just do not like him. And unfortunately for him, it keeps proving why people don't like him because it's like more and more and more continues to come out. And so I think, honestly, I think Washington thought maybe this name change would help to kind of make some of the noise quieter. Like, okay, Oh, we finally changed our racist name, but no, first of all, people need not even like that name. They're like, what is a commander? And then like, Why does, does the- he
1: show <laughs> up at the event? He's not supposed <laughs> to even be participating in team activities. His wife is supposed to be running the team. He's not even it's- supposed to be around. But he's there running the event of the name change.
0: It's a mess. It's a mess, and then the name Maliky, like it's just a mess. So it's like, but I mean, at the same time, it's like you know, as much as we, you know, as much as we love sports and hate to love sports sometimes, it's like all of this is kind of, I think, what gets people intrigued in sport, David, because there's just so many nuances, right, into what you know, why we love what we love and who we love. But I think again, if we're gonna move forward as society, it is about growth. And that's what it comes down to. Again, I'm still going to be rooting for 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 Grandland State, as my dad would say GSE Tigers for life. Um, I think the alumni are still going to be there. But I think Hugh Jackson and his foundation, I do want to say this, David, I do think this is going to be a period of growth for him. And I say this because I also do want I, I think he was a, everybody likes Hugh Jackson. Nice guy um you know you never usually hear anything bad about him and i say usually because this situation just happened, so this might be the only time that you do um but overall i think we know he took this again for a chance to continue to prove what he can do on the coaching level because i think the hbcus can hopefully now be seen as a launching pad as a launching pad to get you to that job that you want of course we want you to stay there but about growth you know we do want you to grow and then hopefully the next great coach come along and take charge of this program and just continue to keep the greatness and continue to build that pipeline of getting players there, of getting alumni dollars in, of filling the stands. I don't think people realize for, for Jackson State to fill those stands this entire football season and people paying for season tickets, that was huge. I mean that was huge. People wearing um, Jackson State, you know, Tigers gear. I mean it was it was huge. It was huge, David. And again a-
1: people trying to portray this as if attendance is a is a black college issue. When you can go to so many programs right now. And they have
0: that. And they, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I went to a Maryland game, football game this year. And look, Maryland had its struggles. It was not packed. It was homecoming. It, but at the same time, it's like, you know, and now that Maryland, we want our bowl game, you know, hopefully beginning next season, it will be different. But like you said, right, you can't just make this like a black issue. We need to have a real conversation and talk about the larger issue. And if you want to talk about attendance, Jackson, they did just fine. Their, their athletics department is, is sitting mighty high right now, feeling mighty happy. They just want a black woman's basketball um, title. Like the attendance for friends.
1: HBCUs was in the top for most of the HBCUs was in the top tier in the FB and the FCS.
0: And no one's talking about it. CIAA of Baltimore, good attendance, all right, to their events and stuff that they had. So I say all that to say again, we have to just be real and honest. And this is why everybody, I hope, listening to this. You push for diversity in sports media. Because David, me, and so many other diverse voices in media, we bring something different to the table because of our experiences. Just like the Hugh Jackson situation, me and David weren't able just to talk as black people in media. We were able to talk as black people who covered HBCU sports, who've been to HBCU games, who also know about the national football landscape. And that's the unique perspective that we bring. Oh, by the way, who also know about the state of Louisiana and Louisiana football. So this is what our diversity brings. And it's diversity in thought. That's the largest thing, it's diversity in thought that we're able to bring to the table and add our contributions to. So again, David, like, this is why you're my brother for life. Me and you, I mean, these conversations are always just, they they mean a lot because it's not every show you just get to talk back and forth like this and just be honest and just be real. And, you know, as we talk about women, I do want to say this before we go, free BG, we need to get Brittany Griner back over here, safe and sound. And, you know, my my heart and prayers truly do go to every single person, um, you know, out there, in Ukraine, uh, Russia, just.
1: But again, partly, we can t- it extends there too. We have yeah. to have the same conversations about race when we're talking about Ukraine and Russia, again, because of the treatment of black refugees, because of the treatment of black and, people. And people
0: aren't talking about that enough. And it's, it's been very different. It's been very different. Like you said, the treatment that's been happening over there. And so we're looking at this with a lens. And when you have a lens, folks, I'm looking at everything. I, I'm turning my eye and I'm looking at everything. And if I see something wrong, I'm going to say something. I'm going to point it out. And that's what needs to happen as a society. We need to keep keeping this lens and making sure our lens is the same across the board, and calling anyone out where there's wrongs. And like you said, yes, in Ukraine, I'm so happy you said that, David, because yes, it's 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 horrible right now to see, like, even as people are trying to flee, they're still facing racism and other just forms of bigotry. You know, and it's like you're just you're just thinking of your life right now, David. Right? Like, I mean, you're trying to get to safety.
1: If, yeah, like if there's a building on fire. And everybody's trying to leave the building. Could you imagine people, the fire department, say, Hold up, hold up, right? White people first, black people get <laughs> right. to the back of Like, y'all the gotta wait fire.
0: right now. And that's what's so crazy about it. But again, it this is why I'm people try to say post racial America or that you know things are changing. No, because the problem still exists, and we are still trying to fight for rights and privileges that other people automatically are born to and have David and it's so sad but we'll never let our voices shy um because again it's like that I think that's what we're born for I think we're born I think I think that's what our legacy will be David is that you know we never shied away and that we will continue to speak out on things Because we're not going to be mute and quiet because to me God gave me a voice in a mouth for a reason I'm going to use it to speak out about certain things
1: mine is real big and I've been using it a long time (laughs) (laughs) and I think the part of it too is I don't have to just advocate for black people. I'm also advocating for honesty and fairness in the conversation because I can critique black people. I don't have a problem critiquing black people. Right. But let's be honest and fair about the conversation we're having. Don't right. put me in a position where I gotta defend first and then put the context back right. The pro- We are put in a position of having to be defensive First, because you're coming at the the, the larger media comes at it from an angle that is not correct. If we start the conversation from the right place, a place of that, ultimately, any good or mistakes that get made are based on your humanity and not endemic to who you are born as. And that's what we try to put on this is that. Uh, And all these cases where something happens to black folks or people of color or or women or whatever, there's some part of you deserved it. There's some part of you asked for it. There's some part of you put yourself in that position. Right. And for essentially white men in the middle, there is everything else is it happened to them. It happened right. to them and they have to react. But for us, we are the instigators of our own problem or our own downfall. Mm-hmm. And that's the perspective that we are constantly put in position to start from. I don't want to have to start from that. Let's talk about the situation. Let's deal with the situation and let's go on. But they are not unique to Black people in, some of these re- in most of these regards. Now, some of these are have uniquely Black solutions that are right. required in, 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 the, in the way that they are, these problems that we have in this country. But just because it's a Black person doesn't necessarily make it a Black issue. And right. we don't have to just come at it from that perspective. Let's yeah. talk about this, from a like you said, from a winning college football capitalist perspective. That's where a lot right. of these things stem from. They got nothing to do with race. It's money. It's money. It,
0: that's what it comes down to, you know. I and I was on WBOK in your neck of the woods, and I said this. I said with huge when I first saw the Art Browse hire, I said Hugh Jackson made this decision. It was a business decision, and it was based off of football and winning. That's what he wanted to do. That does not mean I'm saying that what he did was right. I was. I would never say that. But I'm saying that's what it went down to, and that's even when some of the alumni wanted. They want to go back to winning. When you are winning, and I've been someone that's worked in the athletic department. I worked at Georgetown University athletic department, and they're annual fund to know all about fundraising, especially when it comes to athletics winning is how you bring the dollars in because when i was in georgetown the basketball program wasn't the greatest and every day i had to answer the phone and talk about why people i had to hear why people did not want to give their money because georgetown basketball was not winning there's a reason why we're talking about pat ewing now in georgetown georgetown is their bread and butter georgetown needs to get back to winning all right it just is what it is and so that's why they have to give back that leadership but all that to say david at the end of the day i mean yes i'm never going to detach from being a black woman that's part of me you are a black man but again, I'm able to add all of my perspectives into everything I'm talking about. You know, someone that's not, not only black, but actually got has the certificate in American studies, right? Someone that has a, has a degree in public policy, able to come at it from all these different angles and all these different lenses from what I know, what I can speak to. But at the same time, I don't think you can fault people. Also, yes, there are going to be some things I am going to talk to as a black woman. And I'll make sure that you know that, you know, like with the situation with Simone Biles. Happening in the Olympics. You know, I'm able to talk about mental health as a black woman and, and, and the things that come with that. So I think, you know, I'm never gonna detach from it. But again, it's a unique perspective that I hope people get. Because I do think when we, when we say diversity, I think a lot of people are saying, oh, well, black people just mean black people. I've actually had had to hear that, David, on a radio show. And it's like, no, yes, I am black. And yes, I mean there are certain things where I will say, For black people, but Brian Flores, at the end of the day, you know we're talking about minority coaches. I never, I never detach from the fact that Ron Rivera is here in Washington, and as identifies as Latino, and as someone that's a Latino coach. I think overall we want to see more diversity overall in coaching, but at the same time, the National Football League is over seventy percent black. Right. There are a lot of black coaches that have been trying to get these top head coaching positions. And so that's just a fact. And, and I'm your going justifications to Justifications
1: don't ever make sense. Because you say it, <laughs> you got to be a coordinator and you hire a special teams coach to be a head coach. You say you got to have NFL experience and you grab somebody from college who's never had a <laughs> head coaching job. But that's
0: you- the problem is David, because right, the qualifications that you guys say to me, we meet the qualifications. But then there's always something else. This is why I say it's not just a sports issue. I'm sure many of us have been in interviews before where we met all the qualifications, but it was something that they just couldn't do or put their finger on to get hired. And that's when I said it goes back to, people usually already have in mind who they want to hire. They just usually already do. And that's who they're gonna usually go back to. For you to kind of break that mold, it's very tough. And very hard. And that's exactly why Brian Flores launched that class action lawsuit, because I think he saw that through that process. It didn't matter how good he was or how qualified he was. There was always something, quote unquote, wrong as to why he wasn't getting the positions. It just is what it is. It's an unfair society. It's something that we fought against for a very long time. And that's kind of why it's so important to have the right people in position. I mean, we talked about the judge earlier, Joe Biden being there is why that's happening. Had President Joe Biden not been there, David, me and you might not be having this conversation um, about it, right? Like it's, it's just, I'm just saying, it's just true, right? I mean, he takes Kamala as a running mate. Had he not been him, might've not been having that conversation of having the first black woman vice president in yeah. the White House.
1: And but someone again, who- Even way, with that woman getting nominated Supreme Court, you got people asking for an LSAT scores. So, I mean, it's just like it it is it is endemic throughout society. And what we are trying to do is just say we need to pull those strings and and reveal what's, you know, pull at that yarn until it pulls that whole sweater apart. Because that thing, it's just wrong. It's just wrong. And it's a perspective that doesn't help any of us. And it's not about just, uh, you know, getting more black people. It's it's about pulling down this visage. Of what America really is doing and making it right. right for everybody. It ain't just about me. It's not just about you. It's about everybody. every person it's is getting everybody. hurt by this. Right. We're all hurt when people are denied opportunities. Right. For for reasons beyond their control and has nothing to do with their ability to do or or their capability to complete a task. Then. We are all losing out because we're losing out on talented people being in the workforce. We're losing out on people achieving their greatness. When you lose right. generations of kids because you don't fund their schools, but you are losing. Yeah. All the times we talking about all the doctors and stuff we're missing because of this, that, or the other. Well, we got real kids that are in real schools right now that could be the next doctor, that could be the next physicist, right. that could be the next great legal mind, that could be the next president of the United States. who are right. sitting in bad schools, but we're not worried about that. And that's what we're talking about. That's what we, yeah. that's why we bring address. We we address these issues is because it's not just about the now. It's about right. tomorrow too.
0: Exactly, it's bringing a better tomorrow. And so, to that point, David, and I don't want to ramble on too long. But you mm-hmm. know, this is why when I created my podcast, I essentially had to do that, David, because I was not getting opportunities in DC. Nobody just wanted to hire me, even though I had. I had done so many internships in college, you know, and I, I had moved. They said, you have to live somewhere else. I had to live somewhere else and came back. You know, I basically did everything they said to do, but I still wasn't getting a chance. So not only did I create that, but now I have my internship program that I have working with students because I want to make sure that these students from diverse backgrounds also get the chance to work in media and diversity. And i like what you're saying. It's not just about me. Right, I wasn't just looking out for myself. I always had the goal, and I hope to continue to expand it. Right, and get making sure. So now we're working with schools and making sure these kids are getting college credit. We have career development, you know, making sure that they're connected to some of these employers who are looking for jobs. The HBCU Legacy Bowl that you went to another perfect example. It wasn't just about the players on the football field getting all the scouts to come out. They had the HBCU Legacy Bowl Career Fair because we do not want to create a pipeline in sports for students. So I say all that to say, like you said, it's not, it's it's something important David that we'll probably be working on our entire lives. But i'm up for the task of it right because hopefully by the time me and you go it is better than when we came into this world and that's what it's all about making sure and i tell them that all the time people always talk about you know having a seat at the table david i want to make sure i go have a seat at the table and make sure that i'm bringing up other chairs along with me but I also want to make sure that, that when i leave the table that others are coming behind me to be able to sit down and follow and continue what i was doing that's what it's all about we don't talk about that part enough and so this is what mission is and i think even for me now as much as i love sports media and broadcasting i think i've also been called to a higher calling and that is just helping you know other people it's why right now i'm also doing stuff with special olympics because people with intellectual disabilities deserve the same rights and opportunities as every other person in society again diversity of thought they need to be at that table and so this is what pushes me this is what my passion is david but i will continue to call the wrongs. people should call me out too when i'm wrong um you know and i'm happy to have that conversation none of us are perfect but at the end of the day, that's why I said it's about growth. And where do we go from here?
1: Absolutely. And and again, this is why I enjoy doing um, my podcast and I enjoy doing yes. it this way is that, you know, most of the time yeah, we've been on podcasts, people got a list of questions they ask us. They go boom, <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> and and we answer
0: them. Sports, and- usually the sports, you know, sometimes it doesn't time to society and the microcosms I mean, as a
1: whole. Boom, 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 and we're done. And that's fine. That's fine. Right. There's 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 a absolute you know part of those conversations that we have. And you and I can do we'll do the play calling conversation, we'll do the, the game-based <laughs> conversation. We've had plenty of those. You and I have right. had plenty of those. Right. But in this space, I think it's I and I would much rather, and, and I keep so I still keep times to talk about the nuts and bolts of games. I don't but of in course. this space, there aren't many times where you get to have extended conversations.
0: No and, and, and react yeah. to
1: each other and vibe. And say, look, I don't. I have no idea how you're gonna answer what we're talking about. I have no idea how you're gonna respond. Right. But I'm willing to go down that path with you and figure out where we're gonna end up. And we have ended up here at the end of this conversation. And I think we were able to see those those connective those connectivities. And I hope we've been able to paint that picture for somebody else to see that this is not an isolated thing in these one or particular or two avenues. This is something that we have to look at in a bigger, broader perspective. And that's all I hope for is that somebody comes away with it and they say, I learned a little bit of something. I got a question that I might need to ask tomorrow.
0: That's all we want, David. I think that's what it comes down to. Again, we love sports for all their good. And I think sports have been a microcosm of society as to what's happening in society but also sports we know good and bad and we know a lot of good things have happened in sports but also sports has exposed a lot of negative things right that have happened you know within the sport I think that just continues to show why we must continue to challenge and push the game because we want it to be better and this is across all sports because everywhere there's always room to improve folks and that's what it comes to at the end of the day
1: And it makes it a bit ultimately Uh, ultimately (laughs) you as a fan will be serviced by that as well. If the leagues are better, if the players are happier, if the conditions are improved, if the access is greater and more people are coming to the game that you love. Yep. It will only make it better. Everybody
0: wins. Everybody eats. I mean, look at the WNBA and their significant growth that they've had in women's basketball. The experience, I would say people feel like it's better, right? Because they're going to games now. There's more fans. Their merchandise is selling. And overall, there's more money being generated. Now, another conversation is about those chartered flights. But we'll have that for another day, another time. We got progress to do. But again, overall... We've seen that growth and what happens now that people are now more people are investing in it, David, because they're learning about it. They're seeing it. They're growing with the sport. And that's, again, what it all comes down to. I think this is what we want to see. Now we have new women's sports leagues, right? Like AU, like it's so many great things happening and coming, you know, because. We continue to push people, women's basketball advocates, women's sports advocates continue to push and says, this is what happens when you give the sport more exposure. Lo and behold, everything they said was exactly right, David. So the NCAA tournament last year,
1: NCAA women's tournament had higher ratings than the NCAA men's tournament.
0: Better basketball. We were watching, right? Competitive games. Yes. And that's what people want, like, especially right. We're in March. We want competitive basketball games. I don't care if it's females or guys playing. I want competitive basketball, David, like. That's what people want at the end of the day. So this is what happens, folks, when we again, when we push the needle and believe as much as we love and support. Again, push the needle and believe, but you can also still love and support. And that's absolutely what you can do in life.
1: Absolutely. Kelsey, thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you,
0: David. This was so much fun. I you, you know, I look forward to these just real conversations. Like we don't do these enough. It's just true. We don't.
1: Yeah. And you know, we will continue to talk to each other both on and offline. And for I am sure. so excited because When we get to NABJ, that's a week before my birthday, too. So Oh,
0: what? Okay, so so we're both summer babies. You know, mine's mid-July, so that will be like a continued celebration. Mid-August, so
1: yes. Look
0: at that. Look, summer babies. It's going to be so much fun. Shout out to NABJ and the NABJ convention, and, you know, super And NAHJ as well. And NAHJ, yes, coming. We're doing a joint convention, and I hope people, I'm excited, David, co-hosting the Sam Lacey Pioneer Awards. So super, super excited about that. We have a lot of great pioneers in sports, talking about sports that we'll be honoring out in Las Vegas. So it's going to be fun.
1: Yes, and uh, I can't wait, and I can't wait till we get to have another conversation, and we will do it sooner rather than later.
0: I look forward to it, David. Thanks so much, everyone. And again, know that you can love something and still critique it. Marilyn and Gremlin, I called you all out, but I also still love you all. And that's just what I'm gonna do.
1: Absolutely. So for my friend, Kelsey Nicole Nelson, you can catch her at (laughs) listening with KNN. You can catch she's got more stuff coming up. Go to her (laughs) website. You look her up, she's omnipresent, people. If you, if you are looking at something, she's probably there in the world of sports.
0: serious. Uh,
1: and um, so for her, I am David Grubb. Y'all know how to get at me. I've said it enough times. And this has been another edition of Hard to Paint. Talk to you soon. Bye, guys.